before I uh, pray with you and read scripture, just uh, two things to say. First, uh, thank you so much for the warmth of your welcome, for your friendship. I go around the world saying some of the best people I know come to this church, and I've been so blessed by so many of you. Not least the staff of this great cathedral and their zeal for the gospel and their love of God's word. It is always humbling to be here, and I thank you for that. The second thing is, uh, some of you have been here during the week, and um, I want to sow this seed in your mind that praying about today over the week I thought that what I should do is give you the opportunity to do something at the end. This doesn't involve money, you'll be relieved to know. <laughs> but what I wanted to say is, if God has spoken to you, I'm going to invite you to stand. There'll be more about that when I get to the end of my message. I'm going to invite you to stand and pray with you. That's all. It's not embarrassing. You can do this if God has spoken to you. So let's pray as we sit. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us today from your word. Show us, Lord, what we need to do. Under the authority of your word and in the power of your spirit, speak, Lord, for your servants hear us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Luke chapter 12 and verse 13, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. I had a colleague who worked with me for almost 20 years in local church ministry his name was Ron Wilcox. Uh, he made amazing sacrifices to come and work with me in our broken down church in Slough in England. Uh, he gave up a good job. He sold up his house. He came to work with me. And he was like, and his wife were pastoral workers with me for many seasons of ministry. Then sadly, his wife, Hazel, died and within about 18 months, he met up with another lovely woman who was South African, and they got married, and they were very, very uh, in love with each other, as he had been with his first wife. And then he got a very uh, difficult diagnosis with an aggressive prostate cancer. 
The disease overtook him pretty quickly, and I went to see him, as it happened the last time I went to see him, and we're talking together, his wife is there, and we're just passing the time of day and talking about stuff in the church, and, and um, then his wife went out the room to um, go make some tea or something. He said to me, can I ask you something? I said, yeah, what? He said, is it all true? I'm like, is what all true? He said, is, is the gospel true? I said, Ron, you've been standing in pulpits for years. You've been preaching it. You've been telling other people about it for years. Why do you need to know? He said, I just need to be reassured. Tell me. I said, it's true. He goes, whew, that was a close shave. <laughs> I want to talk to you today about something important and something that's quite maligned, I think, in churches. And it's a doctrine that is called assurance. What Ron wanted was reassurance. He wanted to, somebody just to say to him that what he knew had been assured was true. And my guess is many of you are like that. It's a tricky idea. And as I say, it's wildly misunderstood. Put basically... It means that when you believe the gospel and trust Christ and his saving work on the cross of Calvary, you can have confidence that you will be saved and you will be saved for eternity. You will receive eternal life as a gift. And just to reassure you, eternal life is not like life like now lived forever. That would be intolerable for many of us. No, it's going to be a different kind of life, a whole new way of existing. And Scripture says, you're only going to get a new body. And personally, I can't wait for that. <laughs> it also implies that there is a kind of continuity between our life here and our life in heaven. So you will recognize your loved ones. It's going to be different. And it's going to be a great, there's going to be no tears. You're going to get answers to the questions that you've gone through life in. Paul said, didn't he, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians. He said, you know, now it's like looking in a mirror dimly. He said, now I see in part. One day, that is when he gets there, I will fully know. What's not clear to me now will be made clear to me in heaven. Well, why do I say this is tricky? Because it sounds great when I say it. It's tricky because people who think that salvation or anybody else's salvation is based on what they do, is based on their effort. The doctrine of assurance just sounds like plain arrogance. It just sounds like arrogant nonsense. To go around saying, I know I'm saved and saved for eternity... If it were based on your effort, if it were based on that, then it would be arrogance. But of course, it's not based on what you have done. It's based on what God has done for you. The old street preachers used to say that all the time. You have been saved. Saved from what? Saved from the consequences of your sin. Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, the free gift of God in union with, is eternal life, in union with Christ Jesus. On Monday, 
I felt really self-conscious about this, starting off with a message as severe as I started off. You know, just to say that, I worry sometimes we don't take sin seriously enough in our lives. The wages of sin is death, says Paul. Sin pays a wage. It separates us from God. It wrecks relationships horizontally here on earth. It wrecks lives. It wrecks health, etc., etc. But you can have, by trusting Christ, eternal life. The other thing that's tricky about it is... We live in a culture of the now. We're like ostriches which have our heads stuck in the sand, not wanting to think too much about the future because now is the only moment that many of us can relate to. It's a kind of joke in my family, you know, that uh, we're sitting around table at Christmas time together and I do my usual speech about, you know, your mother and I didn't buy anything till we could afford it. You know, my kids are mouthing the speech as I say it. (laughs) Right? They're like, you know, good luck with that, Dad. We are a culture of the now, and therefore, we find it very difficult to think about the future. I uh, go around saying, folks, you know, a lot of us older people go around saying, I don't want to be a burden to my children when I get older. You said that, any of you? I made it very clear to Michael's, I really want to be a burden. Look after me. (laughs) The culture of the now finds it very difficult to get its head around the future only in the most general terms. Stephen Covey in his book, I know he's a Mormon, Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, has this good bit of advice, which I've tried to follow since I read his book many years ago. He says, begin with the end in mind. That's a great thing. You know, if you're a parent now and you're trying to bring up children, going through those challenging teenage years, what, what, what is it you're working towards with your kids? You don't discipline them because you don't like them. You discipline them, because, I hope you do, because you do like them. It's good advice if you're a spouse. It's good advice if you're a leader in business or in a law company or a doctor or whatever. It's good advice. Begin with the end in mind. So to our reading today, which starts with a warning from Jesus, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And it ends with a warning says, this is how it will be. In other words, God is going to call you a fool. If you live your life purely on the basis of yourself and you invest only in yourself and don't invest in God. Jesus says this, how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Let me ask you, friend, are you rich towards God? This is not a question about how much you put in the collect the offertory plate. This is about what, honestly, you could say where God fits into your life at this moment of time. You're in church, of course you're going to say, yes, primacy. But what would people judge who don't know you, who looked at your life? Jesus is not saying here that wealth is intrinsically wrong. What he's saying is it's distracting, we know that. 
and it encourages us to make investments in the wrong things. A lot of sociologists of religion have criticized middle-class churches in the West for being indulgent, for being the kind of church where people are likely to leave if the rector or whoever makes a life-changing decision like changing the hymnal. The man in this story, as many of us, he could live over the mountain. He's a pillar of society he's thought well of. He's made a few bucks. He's done done anything wrong. The Bible doesn't say he cheated on his wife or he uh, was cruel to his employees or anything like that. Nothing like that. His mistake was that he never invested in God. And on the last night of his time on planet Earth, God says to him, You fool. I had no idea God used language like that. No. We would do well to begin with the end in mind. Some of you say, well, hang on, wait a minute, Bishop. Didn't Jesus say, take no thought for tomorrow? Well, yes, he did. But he said that in relation to the very same thing that God was critical of this man for in our parable. It was to do with material things. Take no thought for tomorrow, said Jesus. Don't think about what you're going to wear. I'm often saying that to my sweet wife when she opens a wardrobe with looks like a million dresses in it and says, I've got nothing to wear. <laughs> Take no thought for what you wear. Don't worry about food and drink. Your father knows you. And we knows your needs. Surely, surely, the punchline of this parable is when you think about your life, don't just think about the now, but think about where it's going. Cemetery chapels are so often places where the person in the box has just honestly lived a life of carnage and left a mess behind. I remember uh, it was almost the last funeral I took, and there was a high society funeral. There were smart-looking people there with smart clothes on. And I said to the undertaker after the service, who is that smart woman who was crying on the second row? He said, that was his second wife. I said, and who is that attractive lady on the third row? He said, that's his third wife. I'm like, how does this work? You know, who's the lady on the back row? He said, that was the janitor. <laughs> Assurance is based on a few facts that I've tried to shine a light on over this last week. One, your admission that you are a sinner and you cannot save yourself. It's what the old theologians used to call the doctrine of the total depravity of man. You imagine today, somebody would put that on the notice board of their church. You know, it's next Sunday sermon, the total depravity of man. That would pack them in, wouldn't it? <laughs> the second is, the end of your life without trust in Christ could conceivably consign you to a Christless eternity. Thankfully, it's not my job to decide who will end up in heaven, and I guess there'll be a few surprises, but there is one way that the Bible knows, and that is trust in Christ 
and his saving death on the cross of Calvary and his resurrection. You need to trust Christ and believe that you are saved for eternity. And the resurrection is not just a nice end to the story. The resurrection, as Paul makes very clear in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, if Jesus wasn't raised for the dead, frankly, we've got nothing to say, you've got nothing to believe, and you're in a mess. Paul didn't think the resurrection was a nice ending to a pretty brutal story, far from it. So friends, let me ask you, where are you invested? You honestly say that God takes primacy in your life. That you have trusted Christ for salvation and you are assured of your place in heaven. Let me tell you, if you're sitting there thinking this is arrogant nonsense, it would be if getting to heaven was based on your effort. But it's not. It's based on what God in Jesus Christ has done for you. I love that story that John Ortberg used to tell about his granny. He said his granny was the meanest Monopoly player on the planet. He said she cleaned up every time. And one year he went, he's about 11 years old, he went there with one of his friends. They played Monopoly all summer and she cleaned up every time until on the last day they played and he won. And he was like amped up over this, couldn't stop talking about it. And they put stuff in the box and, and he said... My granny fixed me with that look that only a granny can muster. He looked at her. She said, Joan, you be careful. It all goes back in the box. And friends, stuff, earthly things, metaphorically speaking, all goes back in the box. So dear friend, Come again today to the throne of grace. Those of you who are deluded about the nature of salvation think you can save yourself. Those of you who are proud and think that maybe standing up might be some kind of vulgarity. Those of you who are scared of death and wonder even hope in the kind of worldly sense of this word, fingers crossed, maybe. This word is for you, friend. And this may be your moment. Your moment to admit your sin, those of you who've never done it before, those of you who are frightened to say, I'm scared, Lord, help me. Those of you who know that what gets in the way between you and God is just your pride. Throw yourselves. I plead with you. Throw yourselves again on that throne of grace, knowing that you can be saved and feeling the amazing assurance of your future now. Come to him who gave his life that we may have life today and have it for forever. Amen. So friends, I'm going to ask the organist in just a moment to play quietly and I'm going to 
ask you. Those you've been here all week, maybe not today, maybe another day, God spoke to you. Let me tell you again, this is Lent. I don't want you to stand if you just like think this would be a good way of affirming good old Mike. It's not about me. It's about you and it's about God. And don't just stand if you think it was interesting. Stand if you think there's something you need to do. And I will pray for you generically. I don't have time to pray for each one of you. Though if you want more prayer, there will be some people who have been trained in this behind the altar rail up the back of me there. And they would gladly welcome and love to pray. We know that some of you got to rush off and, and all that. That's fine. But maybe there would be another opportunity during the week for you to book an appointment and talk to somebody. Because, friend, you have no idea how much God loves you. And how much he wants to see your life aligned with his word. That you might be the person that he wants you to be. So, not dramatic. I've not asked the organist to play till 4 a.m. till finally you stand up. <laughs> but if God has spoken to you, would you stand now please this week? Just stand up now. And let me pray with you. And, and while I'm praying, listen to my prayer, but just listen to the wonderful song, the, the, the tune you'll recognize, the words you will know. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you in a way helpless. We pray, Lord, that we might truly know that we cannot save ourselves and so we look to the cross the wondrous cross upon which the prince of glory died Lord we want to say to you our richest gain we count but loss and pour contempt on all our pride Lord I want to pray for the people standing in this great cathedral right now Lord, you know their hearts. You know the reason they're on their feet. You know everything about them. The Bible says you even know what they're going to say before they say it. And Lord, you love them and you want the best for them. And so I pray, Lord, whatever their prayer is, I pray that you would hear it. And Lord, I pray that you'd send the power and the strength of your Holy Spirit into these lives. Father God, that they may have the strength to face whatever it is they need to face. And this Lent might take a major stride in knowing you more dearly, following you, and Lord, honoring you, not just in this life, but knowing that in honoring you now, investing in you now, Lord, they will be saved for eternity. And brick uh, death may not be a brick wall, but a gateway into something beautiful. Bless these dear folks, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. And the people said together, Amen. Amen.